Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with the latest episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. It has been a while, but we are back, and so is Syracuse football. The season is ready to get underway this coming Saturday, and what a glorious time it is. A huge season for Syracuse football in 2023. We are going to take a look at the upcoming season in a lot of different ways, preview it as as it were. With a review of the schedule, we're going to look at two burning questions for Syracuse to answer that's going to impact their season the most. We're going to look at potential breakout candidates. I'll give you my record prediction, and we'll take a look at the week one depth chart for the opener against Colgate. After that, we have an interview with Syracuse commit Donnie Freeman. He's going to talk about a recent workout with a Syracuse alum, what he's uh, the reason for his transfer to IMG Academy, who he's helping Syracuse recruit on the recruiting trail and a little bit more as well. We'll discuss Syracuse basketball elite camp that took place recently, including several new offers going out to prospects in the 2025 and 2026 recruiting classes. And then we'll give an update on Jaleel Bethea and where his recruitment stands. He is Syracuse basketball's number one target that is still on the board in the 2024 recruiting class. But we'll start with Syracuse football Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. The schedule that they have is a very interesting one because there are a bunch of winnable games, but there is also just an absolutely brutal stretch right in the middle of the season that Syracuse has to figure out a way to navigate. So they open up, as I mentioned, against Colgate in week one. You can pencil that in as a win. And then the rest of their non-conference schedule is Western Michigan at home at Purdue and Army at home. Now, if you're Syracuse, you're looking at this saying there there is every opportunity to go 4-0. At Purdue is obviously one of the two major swing games, I think, in this schedule. The reason that it's a difficult game is because you're on the road against the Big Ten school. The reason why you look at it and think Syracuse has an advantage here is is Purdue has a completely brand new coaching staff. They have a new quarterback. Uh, they've had offensive linemen that that have left, and there's some turnover there. They lost two of their best pass rushers to the transfer portal. 
So there's a lot of turnover on that roster. And I think that means on paper, you look at Syracuse as the more talented, uh, more experienced team and think that they should have an advantage going into it. However, the way that that the Syracuse-Purdue game ended last year, Purdue feels like it gave one away. And they're going to definitely have revenge on their mind. And so even though there is turnover and there's going to be some new phases, that is something that is going to be discussed among the returning players. And, you know, they're going to be amped up for that game for sure. So Syracuse will have to be on a day game, but that is a game that on paper looks very winnable. If they win that game with Western Michigan and Army at home as the other two non-conference games after Colgate, you're looking at four and up. Now, if you lose that game, now you're sitting at three and one, which is still a good record through four games. However, it's what's coming after that that's the brutal stretch. Over the next four games, three of them are on the road, and your home game is Clemson, the team that many feel is going to win the ACC. It has won the ACC for several years in a row. Florida State, who is the team that that a lot of people think is going to be the biggest challenge for Clemson and is kind of a, a sexy sleeper pick for the college football playoff. They are the third team in this stretch, and that is on the road. So here's the stretch. September 30th, Syracuse faces Clemson in the Dome. October 7th, Syracuse plays at North Carolina, another team that is supposed to be one of the contenders in the ACC with perhaps the best quarterback in the ACC in Drake May. Saturday, October 14th at Florida State, then Syracuse does get a bye week, but then after that at Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech on paper is not nearly to the same caliber as those other three uh, games are going to be, the other three opponents. However, it's on the road. And, you know, weird things happen when you're on the road. We don't know what the situation is going to be like with Virginia Tech at that point. That Maybe they win a couple of games early and they've got some momentum and and they're a little bit better than, than what you thought. But what you hope from a Syracuse standpoint is you figure out a way to navigate those three, Clemson at North Carolina at Florida State. If you can squeak one out, then you go into that Virginia Tech game with the possibility of becoming bowl eligible right there. But this is where things kind of can can take another turn in terms of the schedule. If Syracuse loses to Purdue and they're three and one going into that stretch where it's Clemson, North Carolina, Florida state, it's very realistic that they could lose those three games, be sitting at three and four going into that Virginia tech game. That's why that game becomes so important because if you lose that, you're three and five, and now you have to win three of your last four in order to get to bowl eligibility. If you fig- if you go 4-0 and to start the season and still lose those three against Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State, now you're at 4-3. and If you lose to Virginia Tech, you're 4-4. Four and four. Again, you're 500. You've lost four in a row. You have to win two of your last four in order to get to bowl eligibility. Whereas if you turn things around and beat Virginia Tech, you feel like you navigated the rough part of your schedule. You're sitting at 5-3, and three, and you feel pretty good about yourself. That, that you should have an opportunity in those last four games to win at least one, if not two or three, and, and have a pretty solid regular season. Those last four games, Boston College at home, Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium, at Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest at home. Those teams are, um, at least three of them are going to have new quarterbacks. So from, from what they had last year, there is an opportunity for Syracuse to avoid the November swoon that it has had 
routinely under Dino Babers and turn things around and have a strong end to the season to to get back to bowl eligibility. So what's on the line with with those uh, with with that entire schedule and what the record could be? A uh, uh, back to a bowl game would be the first time that Syracuse has gone to back to back bowl games and back to back seasons in a decade. And a winning record in the regular season. It would be the first time Syracuse has had back-to-back winning regular seasons in 23 years. I'm sorry, 22 years. That's insane. It should not be that large of a gap. But that's where we're at. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud sponsor of Syracuse University Athletics. So that brings us to the two questions that face Syracuse football this year that are going to dictate how the season plays out. The first is health. The last It seems like every year of the Dino Babers era, other than 2018, there have been significant injuries to starters that have really derailed this team one way or another. Even just looking at last year, yes, Syracuse was 7-5 and in the regular season. However, Garrett Schrader, pretty much after the Clemson game, was not the same player that he was in the first half of the season. He was clearly dealing with an injury. He had off-season surgery. And that hindered Syracuse's ability to be effective and efficient offensively, which just snowballed and then impacted the defense because the offense kept going three and out. And, you know, it, it sort of all snowballs on you, as I said, and that's what happened. So Syracuse has to stay healthy. You can't lose key starters and key positions. You know, last year, Syracuse lost Garrett Williams. Um, they had a couple of injuries along the offensive line. Chris Bleich was in and out of the lineup. Uh, they lost Stephon Thompson for the season early in the year. They lost uh, Terry Lockett starting defensive tackle early in the year for the season. Isaiah Jones as a wide receiver was one of their starters. He was gone for the year after the Purdue game. Can't afford to have that again. Syracuse needs some luck on the health side uh, this season. The other one is the offensive line. Syracuse has lost three out of five starters from last year's offensive line. That's 60% of your starters, including both tackles, one of which was just selected in the second round of the NFL draft in Matthew Bergeron by the Atlanta Falcons. The guys that they have replacing their three starters are three incoming transfers, which means you don't have continuity from guys you've recruited and have been in your program for multiple years. You have new faces incoming to take those spots, and that means you have a question on cohesiveness and communication and all of those things in terms of pass protection, if there's a silent audible when you're on the road and and how, how does everyone communicate those types of things? If you're sliding protection one way or the other, you're shifting who's responsible for who, because someone comes up to the line of scrimmage. All of those things are going to be so important for this offensive line. It's one of the biggest questions because if the offensive line is not performing up to par, then Syracuse is their offense is going to really struggle to move the ball all year. And, and you can't have that. So which individual players now are potential breakout candidates? And I'll name a few, a couple of them seem kind of obvious because they are, but sometimes the obvious answer is the right answer. And we'll hope that uh, 
that I'm correct on some of these. The first is running back LaQuinn Allen. His offseason was as drama-filled as it gets, right? He was suspended originally because of an incident at a party where there was a fight and he claimed self-defense and there was a student council that made the decision on on his punishment and they don't take self-defense into account and there's all this other details and it just is crazy and ridiculous and just doesn't seem fair or adequate but all that aside he reached a settlement with Syracuse he's now going to play this season he was really good in the pinstripe bowl when he started last year when uh, Sean Tucker decided to sit out the bowl game in order to prepare for the NFL draft he showed the ability to run between the tackles run outside he was great as a wide receiver really dynamic with the ball in his hand he was Syracuse's best offensive player in that game and he's what what they relied on to move the ball uh, against a, a good Minnesota defense. He's now going to be the starter. I'm not saying you're going to see a thousand yards out of him because Syracuse is expected to rotate their running backs more this year than they have the last couple, but expect him to be a dynamic weapon. They need him to be consistent uh, week in and week out. And especially being more of a receiving threat than we saw uh, from Sean Tucker. Tucker showed flashes of that, but I think LaQuint Allen can be really dynamic there. So they'll find creative ways to get the ball in his hand. Number two, Damian Alford. I feel like he's someone that we've identified the last couple of years as a potential breakout candidate, and it hasn't really come to fruition yet. But if it's going to, it seems like this is the year it will happen. He's been in the program multiple years. He started all of last season. The year before showed little flashes here and there. And he's got a Rondé Gatson who's going to be the number one wide receiver is going to get most of the attention from opposing defenses. That means he should see a lot of single coverage and that should also open up opportunities for him in the red zone. If he becomes a consistent receiving threat that can get open, make plays down the field, et cetera, that really puts defenses in a bind because you've got him to stretch the field. You have a Rondé Gatson in the intermediate especially over the middle. And then you've got LaQuint Allen in the screen game and some, some short swing passes or, um, you know, throwing it out to him in the flat, et cetera, that can really dictate to a defense and put defenses in a bind as far as how you're going to cover the, the several weapons that Syracuse can put on the field at the same time. So his ability to, to step up and be a consistent receiving threat is extremely important for Syracuse. Defensively, I've got Elijah Clark. Syracuse lost two of its playmaking defensive backs in Deuce Chestnut, who went to LSU, and Jihad Carter, who transferred to Ohio State. They lost both of those guys to the portal, two of their biggest playmakers in the secondary. Syracuse needs someone to step up to create turnovers and be the leader of that secondary and be the guy that makes big plays and, and creates turnover opportunities. I think Elijah Clark, a former four-star recruit who was just sort of getting his feet wet being at Syracuse and in the 3-3-5 last year and still had a solid year, I think he's a guy that could be in line for a big year if he steps up and, and had a, as good of an offseason as, as what we expected him to have. Also on the defensive side of the ball, Jeremiah Wilson, Isaiah Johnson, the cornerback duo. Syracuse's starting cornerbacks from the season opener last year, Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut, are both gone. Garrett Williams to the NFL and Duchesne, as I mentioned, transferring to LSU. Now they've got Isaiah Johnson, who filled in last year when Garrett Williams got hurt. 
and was really, really solid when he took over that starting spot. And Jeremiah Wilson, who was a true freshman last year, but still played well, uh, rotated in and out, started in the pinstripe bowl and showed some good signs. Those two guys, I think, stepping up and being the starting corners and, and keeping Syracuse as having one of the better better starting cornerback duos in the ACC, those are guys that I would look as as potential breakouts. And then the least sexy of the breakout candidates, Jack Stonehouse, the punter. Listen, Syracuse made a case for punter you for for a while when they went, you know, uh, Riley Dixon and uh, Sterling Hoffrichter and Nolan Cooney. I mean, they had NFL caliber punter after NFL caliber punter, you know, back to back to back. And the guys who are supposed to take over after that really haven't stepped up to the plate. Um, you look at James Williams a couple of years ago. You look at Max von Marburg last year, and it just hasn't been the same. And that has cost Syracuse um, some games over the last couple of years because the punting has been so poor. They brought in Jack Stonehouse, who was a starter for Missouri last year. He comes in as a transfer. Um, he's got great punting blood. His dad punted for USC and the New York Giants. His cousin Ryan is the starting punter for the Tennessee Titans currently. And he's someone who is young. He's got a couple of years of eligibility left. He had nine punts of over 50 yards last season, uh, whereas it felt like last year Syracuse took nine punts to get to 50 yards. Um, it, you know, so I, I think he's got the potential to He's not going to make waves nationally. Punters don't, but at least locally, I think fans are going to start appreciating and uh, taking for granted consistent punting once again. Now we'll get to the official prediction. I've got Syracuse going seven and five. We've kind of already gone over the schedule, but I I have them starting four and zero. Oh. I have them losing those three games to Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, beating Virginia Tech to get to five and three and then splitting the final four games to get to seven and five and get to a bowl game and, and accomplishing some of those things that we talked about with the first time in, in a decade of back-to-back bowl games. And the first time in 22 years of back-to-back winning regular seasons. Now the death chart came out for the game against Colgate. And there were a couple of interesting things to note. You know, a lot of standard things. Garrett Schrader's your starting quarterback. Carlos Del Rio Wilson's his backup. LaQuinn Allen is a starting running back. Juwan Price is his backup, et cetera. But starting wide receivers are Damian Alford, Donovan Brown, and Isaiah Jones. And I know some of you are saying, Donovan, Donovan Brown, who is that? Where is Trevor Pena? Trevor Pena is injured, um, according to Dino Babers. And... He's expected back for week two, but he's sitting out this game. So um, that's why he's not on the depth chart. But Donovan Brown is a speedster recruit who came a couple of years ago and has had a really, really strong training camp. Made some highlight reel catches, big plays, et cetera. But he is fast. He's a burner. So don't be surprised if you see Syracuse take a couple of shots to him. But he's he's someone to keep an eye on this year as well. Offensive line is is really interesting. Enrique Cruz is your starting left tackle, taking over from Matthew Bergeron. Chris Bleich moves from right guard to left guard. And Kalen Ellis, who was a starter at left guard last year, is now his backup. The center spot 
where Josh Aloa was the guy who was returning and was the backup center last year. And I think most kind of expected would slide in there. He remains the backup and junior college transfer genre Reed is the guy who gets the starting nod at right guard. You have Richmond transfer Joe Moore and at right tackle, you have Kentucky transfer David Woolaba, whose father was a great Syracuse offensive lineman uh, about three decades ago. Defensively, most things are pretty standard on the defensive line. You don't see Terry Lockett. He still is not back yet, 100% from his injury, and I just don't think they want to risk potentially re-injuring himself against a team like Colgate, which you should be able to win even with uh, if you played your, your primary backups. You still should be able to win that game. The linebacker front, Stephon Thompson, is listed as a backup, and I think a similar situation. They just don't want to rush him back and risk re-injuring. So Leon Lowry is listed as the starter. Caden Bailey is a guy that really intrigues me. He was really good in the pinstripe bowl last year. He's the the primary backup for Derek McDonald is the third linebacker, Marlo Wax in the middle. And then your corners, Isaiah Johnson, Jeremiah Wilson, as we mentioned, Greg Delaney and Jaden Bellamy are the primary backups Two young, young guys, but uh, lots of talent there. And then your safeties, Elijah Clark, Justin Barron, and Jason Simmons. Your starting kicker, Brady Denneberg. He's someone I think there's another big question mark about. No more Andre Schmidt. So how will Syracuse bounce back from not having that guy that they relied upon and, and was so consistent for them for, for the last four years? Jack Stonehouse, as we mentioned, is your punter. And uh, Demarcus Adams and Donovan Brown are going to be handling the return game. So a lot to look forward to there. A lot to like. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a really fun season. And I think one we're all looking forward to from Syracuse football to Syracuse basketball, specifically on the recruiting front. We are going to welcome Syracuse basketball 2024 forward commit Donnie Freeman to the show. Donnie, you've had quite a year this year, and I think uh, perhaps of all of your accomplishments and, and everything that's happened so far, perhaps none bigger than uh, winning Peach Jam. So tell me from your perspective, what was that journey like winning Peach Jam? I know that was a goal of, your, of yours going into the AAU season, but what was it like to win that? How difficult was it? And, you know, what does that mean to you in terms of your uh, basketball accomplishments? And start, so starting from first session, we started off two and two. It wasn't really looking the best. And then second session, we lost one game. Um, a talented team. And then after that, we kind of like, after that, we didn't lose any more games. Like, we kind of ran through, ran through the, everybody else kind of smoothly. But the adversity part was in the beginning because we were still, we had a really talented team. So everybody was trying to click and just kind of trying, trying to find their niche and just try to make try to make the winning plays for each other. But I mean, it was complicated because when you play with such a talented team, like everybody coming from the high school team, everybody was the star and the best player on the team. So taking the, like, the best players from everyone and putting them on one team was a, was a struggle for us in the beginning. But with good coaching, we kind of put it together, and then we, we made a good run to the end. So when, when that final moment happens and you realize you've won, you know what's what's going through your head when, when you realize at that moment you're Peach Jam champions? It's it's like it's kind of like, like a weight lifted off your shoulders because they're playing in that game. It's a lot of pressure on everybody on both sides, like – like either with us in against Vegas, like everybody in there had pressure on their shoulders. So when we won, it's kind of just like pressure lifted off our shoulders, and we we're just so like we we're just, it was just full of joy. 
Absolutely. Now you're focused on your high school season uh, your, to wrap up your high school career with your senior season, and you elected to transfer from St. John's College to IMG. So just tell Syracuse fans what went into that decision-making process and how you think that's going to benefit you uh, from a basketball standpoint. Um, I feel like going into Syracuse, I needed to be pushed to a different level. Not saying that St. John's going to get me there, but I feel like I need to be pushed to a different level to come into Syracuse to be ready to play immediately and make it as the impact and impact winning. So, and I feel like IMG, IMG could get me there better than any other school in the country. So, like like I said, it's not a knock on St. John saying they couldn't do it, but I just feel like I, IMG was the place for me and they had to check record for all the goals that I wanted and just change my body. And I believe that they can do it and do everything for me to be ready when I get to Syracuse. How much how much were the Syracuse coaches involved in that process? Because I know they've had some um, you know, commits of theirs in the past go through IMG. So how much yeah. did you have discussions with them and and lean on um, you know, their their contacts, their relationships and, and their opinion on things? Yeah, they weren't really like picking one school over another. They just kinda gave me their input on the school and it just ultimately was my decision. So they didn't really say go here or go there. Like they didn't really they didn't really push me either one of the school. They just get, say what they thought about it, their relationship with the coach, what they think about it, the pros and cons of it. They just say, make the decision yourself. And they said they're going to be behind whatever, with whatever decision I make. I know there's a, a lot of talented uh, teams that you'll be facing. I know in that same state, Montverde's pretty, pretty loaded themselves. So um, you, you'll definitely have a, a lot of competition you'll be facing. And, and that should help you, as you said, get ready for your time up at Syracuse. Uh, I also understand that you recently got to work out with former Syracuse star, Jeremy Grant. Um, how did that come about? What was that like? And, you know, what did you take away from that experience? I mean, we're, we're from the same area, area, same from the same area, work out with the same people. I was just in the gym. What's today? Today's Friday, Saturday, Saturday. I just, I just worked out with him. So I was just in the gym with him Thursday. So he just kind of gave me like the little tips and things that he does, like the next level, like, like the physicality things, like, it's just like the small thing that he was giving me that I get to pick up. Because we're around the same salary, do the same position, kind of the same thing. So he just showed me some of the things that he did that works for him. I kind of tried to implement it in my game. I got you. Um, had, had you met him before? Or was this kind of your first time interacting with him? No, I met him. I'm working out with him for a while. I think I met him back in eighth, ninth, like eighth, ninth grade. Okay. Um, around the same time Syracuse offered, I think, right? Yeah. Similar, yeah. similar time frame. I want to um, say when they offered me at the elite camp, I think I worked out with him that following Monday. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, now you've been committed to Syracuse for a little while. How much, you know, for, for those that maybe aren't aware, how much do the Syracuse coaches still stay in contact with you after you commit? I think perhaps some that maybe don't follow recruiting um, as in depth may have uh, uh, something in the back of their mind that, once you're committed, it's kind of like hands off and whatever. But um, yeah. you know, what's what's the communication been like with the Syracuse coaches since you committed? I mean, Brent, Brendan, I talked to him like I talked to them like just through recruiting me. Honestly, like we still have a strong bond and and like so it's not really like like that. I know with some schools that's how it is, but it wasn't really like that with Syracuse, and that's another reason why I picked them. Cause I knew it wasn't gonna be like that, so they still kind of talk to me like they're recruiting me in in a way. So not really just the same amount that they talk to me, just different conversation. I got you. I got you. Uh, now, the last question I have for you is Syracuse obviously isn't done in your recruiting class, even though, you know, they've, they're obviously off to a pretty good start. Who are you trying to help Syracuse recruit to join you up in central New York and, uh, you know, really make the 2024 recruiting class a special one for Syracuse? Hands down to a little bit there. Like he'll, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, 
Like anytime I see him in person, like I'm wrapping them up. Like come tell him to come to Syracuse. Like any camp I seen him at, he was at the Nike camp. Of the Nike camp with him, wrapping them up. Where I was wrapping them up every day. Like we were there Monday through, I think Saturday. Every day I see him, like I was wrapping them up. Him come to Syracuse. We have another Nike camp in New York coming up on the thirtieth, on the fifteenth. I met the fifteenth September, and I'm be wrapping them up again. I'm be wrapping them up until, um, I'm be wrapping up until until he commits. What's your what's your pitch to him when when you do talk to him about trying to join you up at Syracuse? I told him I told him that like don't get don't get like caught up in like the other like the the other like people say the sexier things that the schools have to offer like some schools are big party schools like some schools will offer you like a lot of nil stuff like that and I said I I said Syracuse is like they can give they can get you anywhere where you need to be like wherever you want to be but you want to be in the league one year two years three years like whatever you want to do like they'll do it for you we have a history getting pros to the league like. Red is red is as good as anybody in the country, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Even though this is his first year, I believe he's as good as any head coach in the country. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking a few minutes for us. Uh, best of luck down at IMG. I know all of Syracuse Nation will be watching you down there, and uh, look forward to when you get up here and we can watch you play at the dome and, and uh, I'll have the pleasure of covering you. So look forward to that. And once again, thank you for being uh, so generous with your time. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate Donnie Freeman taking a few minutes for us. Thought he had some uh, great things to say about his workout with Jeremy Grant, why he's transferring to IMG Academy, and of course his recruitment of Jaleel Bethea. We'll get to Jaleel Bethea next, and then we'll talk about Syracuse basketball's elite camp before we wrap up this episode. Jaleel Bethea is, for those unfamiliar, a five-star class of 2024 guard prospect that Syracuse has been recruiting for years. He is the top target still on the board. He has uh, He's down to five schools. He is taking official visits to all of them. They are Alabama, Kansas, Syracuse, Villanova, and Miami. Um, he's going to take official visits to all of them. He's already taken one to Syracuse, but he's taking a second one in the middle of September. He completed his official visit to Villanova this past weekend, posted a couple pictures on Twitter and his Instagram account. He is going to Kansas this coming weekend, and then we'll wrap up the remainder of his official visit schedule. If I'm Syracuse, Miami, as it currently stands, is the team that worries me the most. He is big on relationships. He has said that's going to be a huge factor in his commitment. And Miami has a, a very good one with him and has a, a longstanding one. Now, Syracuse's is longer, and um, you know we don't know whether it's stronger or not. Only Jaleel knows that, but it is very strong. And, uh, you know, so Syracuse does have some things going forward on that front. But Miami is clearly a threat. And anytime you have a school like Kansas involved and they get a player on campus and they can talk to them and show off all the national championship trophies and the blue blood program and, um, you know, those types of things, that's obviously going to make an impact. So I think Kansas will become a a bit more of a threat after the official visit this weekend. And, um, you know, I'm sure they're going to make known what they can pay him through NIL during the visit as well. Somehow that information will be disseminated upon Jaleel Bethea. So Syracuse is going to have to be able to respond in that realm as well as this recruitment goes. But that's the latest on his recruitment. Syracuse still in constant contact and uh, will be very much involved. And I think getting that second official visit is, is big for them as well.
Now to Syracuse basketball elite camp that happened this past weekend. Syracuse had a bunch of prospects from the 2025 and 2026 recruiting classes, and they extended offers to 2025 point guards Keyshawn Tillery and Nigel James and 2025 forward Matt Gilhool. On the 2026 recruiting front, they offered a pair of guards, Anthony Brown and Nico Mondi. Now, I want to give um, uh, Nico Mundy, I should say. I want to give a little bit of of information on each one. Um, Keyshawn Tillery is a Northeast kid. He's got offers from Georgia Tech, Northwestern, Washington. So obviously high major programs already on him. He's about 6'1", 170, 180, somewhere in that range is, is what he's listed right now, but I think is, is still growing. Nigel James, um, listed, you know, somewhere around six foot, a little bit slighter at about 160 pounds, but also has high major offers from Iowa, Marquette, Minnesota, Providence, Rutgers, USC, Wake Forest, among others. So um, he's a really quick, really good athlete and and very explosive and someone that's going to push tempo. Syracuse really likes him. Matt Gilhool is a 6'10 forward, kind of one of these athletic power forward types that can shoot the ball. He has a tremendously high ceiling, but definitely on the the scrawnier side as it goes right now. But there's a reason that high major programs like Maryland and Miami, Mississippi State, Penn State, Rutgers, Virginia Tech, etc. And now Syracuse have offered because they see the upside there. And don't be surprised if he ends up getting a lot more attention as the recruiting cycle progresses. Nico Mundy is a class of 2026 guard uh, from Maryland, and he's also got a high major offer from Florida State in addition to Syracuse, starting to get on players' radar, 6'3", 165-pound point guard, so he has some, some good size to him as well. But those are definitely names if you're a Syracuse basketball recruiting fan, you're going to want to keep an eye on moving forward. That'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Mike McAllister from allsyracuse.com, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.